together. We pray, Father, that you would uh, take these uh, truths from James this morning, apply them to our heart and life. Uh, Lord, if there's anything I don't want to do is is to uh, scandalize someone else. Uh, We ask you to help us today with our tongue, with our uh, ability to bridle the tongue. It only comes through the Holy Spirit. So we stand before you in our with our helplessness, we ask, Lord, that you would enable us today to not only do the right thing, but to say the right things and to edify and encourage to build up. We pray that through all these things, you might be honored and pleased. Pray for each class, each teacher today, and the church worldwide as it gathers. We pray that your name would be exalted in the earth. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're in the little epistle of James, chapter 4. We're going to just look at verses 11 and 12 today. Um, Let me just begin by saying there's this um, evolutionary biologist at Purdue University named William Muir, uh, and his particular field of study was chickens. He was interested in the productivity of chickens, and of course I guess that's easy to measure because all I have to do is count the eggs. Um, he wanted to know what could make chickens more productive, so he devised this beautiful experiment. He understands that uh, chickens uh, live in groups, and so first of all, he he selected an average group of chickens, average flock of chickens, if you will, and uh, he, he called this first flock just the average bunch, and he left them alone for six generations. But he also created a second group of chickens, <clears throat> uh, which um, he, he called super chickens. Uh, he picked uh, every chicken that he could, he could find in this group was uh, very, very productive. And uh, he put them in this uh, one flock of super chickens. And in each generation of chickens, he would select the most productive for breeding. Anyway, after six generations, <clears throat> he selected... Um, he, he took the two groups and examined them again, and he noticed the first group, the average group, was doing just fine. They were all plump, fully feathered. Egg production was, was great. Actually, it increased. And the second group, however, the super chicken group, um, all of them were dead but three. They had all pecked one another to death. I guess the question from James this morning in our text is, who do you think you are? Are you just a regular chicken Christian? Are you a super chicken Christian? We have issues with this, don't we? This uh, business of lack of uh, humility and submission before God and loving one another... uh, usually results in pecking one another to death in a church situation. I've been in those situations. I don't want to be back in it. Uh, James begins chapter 4 by asking the question, what's the cause of all the strife? What's the source of these issues, quarrels, conflicts among you? He says, is not the source your pleasures or your selfish desires, personal selfish ambition desires, that wage war in your members. You lust, you don't have, so you, you're envious, you cannot obtain, you fight and you quarrel, you don't have because you don't ask. 
You ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So you, you, you look to the world for, to meet your needs. And instead of asking God to meet your needs, you're depending on the world, the way the world does it. Basically, he says in verse 4, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes him an enemy of God. You think the Scripture speaks to no purpose, and then we gave you our translation of this, the spirit uh, that dwells within us lusts envy. We basically have this uh, fallen nature that uh, wants to put self first and peck everybody else that gets in our way. Uh, but he goes on in verse 6, he says, but he, God gives greater grace. Uh, therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then he, he lists these uh, Ten Commandments. We looked at this last time where he, he basically gives uh, Ten Commandments, if you will, which are not exact, they're not uh, commands for us to do, but they're commanded expectations, if you will, uh, which describe the effects of one's humble submission before God. These effects would be seen in our life. And he goes on to say, uh, drawing near to God, He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He that speaks against a brother or judges a brother speaks against the law. This is where we are today. <clears throat> judges the law. You're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I guess the question in this section is, who do you think you are? And... Um, the answer for most of us is, well, I pretty much think that I'm God. I'm the one that's running my life. I'm in control of these things. And James is telling us, you need to stop that foolish thinking. This business of murderously lashing out at other people in order to get your way uh, is not something that's just unique to James. It's uh, it's in all the Scripture. Uh, Paul says in Romans 12, I therefore urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the Scripture, so that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. But through the grace given me, I say to everyone of you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. This is a problem. But to think as... He has sound judgment as God has allotted each measure of faith. Galatians 6 3 says, If a man thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Remember the disciples at that time came to Jesus asking him, Who's the greatest in the kingdom? <laughs> and who's going to get sit next to you because, you know, I'm pretty special? And that's a problem that we all have. Uh, we're, we, we're, instead of a humble submission to God's will in our life and a loving relationship to other believers in the church, we have these selfish desires and ambitions that we try to achieve by worldly means. And it just doesn't work. It causes all kinds of terrible pecking to death of other, others in the, in the body of Christ. Um, Basically, uh, we, we can rectify the strife 
James, I think, is telling us here that fighting and picking to death of one another can be rectified uh, on the, uh, with regard to this issue of the grace of God enabling us to have the control, self-control, especially over our tongue. Um, and, and basically, instead of looking to the world for direction, the wisdom from below, we look to the wisdom from above to direct our behavior, our thoughts, our words, if you will. Um, basically, worldly, critical, judgmental speech is playing God. When we do these things, we're actually we're setting ourselves up as a little God, and we think that we're we're running the show. And that's this is what he's telling us. Uh, he's demanding that this um, critical speech in verse eleven stop right now. Uh, do not speak against one another, brethren. He says here in verse eleven. It's actually a command. We mentioned that James is. Um, He's writing to people that were at one time under his pastoral charge, if you will, there at Jerusalem. They've been scattered because of persecution. I'm sure he keeps up with what's going on with the people that have left. And uh, through letter and correspondence, people traveling back and forth are telling him, you know, so-and-so, he's trying to run the show again. <laughs> you know Bob, how he is. And so he does. he knows these people, and he's he's... He's riding into this situation, and this situation isn't something that's just unique to them. It's unique to all of them. I mean, it, it fits all of us, doesn't it? The church hasn't changed. Human nature hasn't changed, and we need the same instruction here. So he, he is addressing an issue of this business of slander or critical speech. The term to speak against here is literally to maliciously speak down on someone to to cast aspersion of someone. It's basically the, it's the fruit of envy. It's, uh, I don't like something you do, or, or I don't like you, or something like that. So I, 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 I hit you. I don't physically hit you, but I speak against you. Uh, Proverbs 27, 4, I believe, says, uh, wrath is cruel, anger is horrible, but who can stand before envy? It's one of those things that's just, it's an awful thing. Uh, speaking against someone involves setting ourselves up as judging God's will for their life. I know what's best for you, or I know I know this, and you don't know. Expresses a contempt, actually, for God's sovereignty. Um, this business of slander is first seen in the Garden of Eden. Where does where do where do we pick up this sin? Sin of slander. The devil does it. Surely God has said, you know. He's slandering God. He's speaking down against God. He's belittling, belittling God. Actually, the word devil is the word slanderer. So when we slander, we're just being a devil. We're, we're, we're emulating the devil, if you will. We're following his methods of belittling someone to make us look bigger. Uh, lifted up with pride, if you will. So this is... Um, and I think slander may be one of the most disobeyed commands in the Scripture. It's one of the major ways of quarreling and fighting. That's how it usually manifests itself. Somebody says something about someone or against someone. And so that's when trouble starts. Um, Peter lists a bunch of sins, uh, squabbles, and difficulties that they were having in the church there in First Peter 2.1. And the last thing there to put put off, he says, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy 
and all slanders. That's the last thing. The, the, the bottom line is this slanderous business, this speaking against other people. Put that away. So slandering another person is a tendency of our human nature, especially when it's driven by worldly wisdom, the spirit of the world. If you would, this is how I'm going to get this done. This is how the world does it. This is how I'm going to do it. Too many churches are following the world's advice and directives instead of the Scripture, the wisdom from below instead of the wisdom from above. Um, This is a tendency in human nature to criticize others. It boosts our self-image. In some cases, it will boost your uh, network ratings if you're always criticizing somebody. And this is, this is what people do. This is how it's done in the world. Pointing out someone else's failures, tearing them down, seems to make us a little bit uh, better, at least in our own eyes. So he commands us not to do it. There's uh, several characteristics of slandering. Uh, it can be, I think, uh, chiefly distinguished in three ways. First of all, it's, uh, it's intended to influence others against someone. When we, when we speak against somebody, the whole purpose is to get other people to turn from them and get behind you. You want, you want everybody to think you're great, this kind of a thing. So it's kind of derogatory speech. Um, Calvin says, by nature, we're all hypocrites eager to push ourselves forward at the shame and the expense of others. So basically, it's intended, uh, this business of slandering is intended to influence, influence everybody else against someone. And then secondly, the person being slandered is usually not there to defend themselves. That's another characteristic of it. Uh, usually, these harsh, vindictive remarks or insults are made behind someone's back. One of the, Paul's favorite words is backbiting. <laughs> Behind their back, you say these things, and this is where we get the term backbiting. Romans 1.30, backbiters, haters of God, insolent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Second uh, Corinthians 12.20 says, I fear lest when I come I shall, I shall not find you such as I would or would like it shall be found by you such as you would not, lest there be debates, envyings, wrath, strites, backbitings, and whisperings. Usually it's connected with whispering behind someone's back. And then thirdly, it, uh, uh, slander deliberately calls attention to someone's faults and minimizes their virtues. Uh, what Jesus would call a moat collector, you know, you want to cast the, you need to get the beam out of your eye before you try to get the speck out of somebody else's eye. But these are moat collector. That's what basically speaking down against or slander is all about. I'm, I'm a moat collector. I see your moats and that I emphasize those faults and I minimize your virtues. Um, and again, it's not always telling lies about someone. It's just, um, It's emphasizing the weaknesses of someone and not seeing the good things. Intentionally speaking against is aimed to diminish their character, their position, or something like that. A subtle form of self-exaltation. I'll be like the Most High. Isn't that what Satan had? We're following Satan's methods here when we speak against someone. James says you need to stop this. There's a lot of examples of it in the Scripture. Um... For instance, um, uh, slander is usually done when we pass on unverifiable information. 
some little tidbit of gossip. You know, I heard that he 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 did this in his past, or I heard that that they can't do this or that. And you know, I I just heard that. I don't know whether that's true or not. So it's unverified passing on of something like that. And we believers do that. And sometimes we just we have the problem of not having an unspoken thought. You know, it's like, well, I knew this, and I knew I shouldn't have said anything, but I said something. I've done this. I mean, it's like I'm still kicking myself for saying something to somebody I shouldn't have said it to. But I went ahead and said it, and it hurt that person. And you know, you can't take those words back. It's like emptying out a pillow with feathers. It's kind of hard to get all that stuff back once you do it. And certainly, it's the idea of saying something without being true or without being able to verify it, if you will. And so, Paul says in First Timothy five nineteen, don't receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three. Make sure it's, you can verify what you say. Make sure you know that's the truth if you say something. So even though it may, you unintentionally, it was just a harmless word spoken, uh, these things can be uh, very harmful uh, to another person. A lot of times it's like, well, let's pray for so-and-so because, you know, they're, they're having this going on. Oh, really? I didn't know they were having this going on. Thanks for sharing that little tidbit of prayer request. You know, so it's a lot of things. Intention may be well, but we shouldn't be doing it. Remember the three rules for speaking. Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Those things should govern what we say. So let's not be hasty in sharing that information. It, a lot of times it involves uh, willful false accusations. Um, or telling, telling it the way I see it. And putting a little twist on something um, and again, this is an activity that's very close to the devil who's a slanderer. We shouldn't be doing his work. Great example of, of the problems of someone twisting someone else's motives is Second uh, Samuel uh, 10 where um, the Ammonite king died and, and he had, had helped David in the past when he was fleeing from Saul. So he sent two emissaries to the son that was alive, grieving his father's death, to to console him, send a message from the king David to console the Ammonite king. You can read this in Second Samuel ten, and uh, the counselor to the son told him, "Well, they're just here to spy on us." And you know, the final result of all that is forty thousand men died in battle because they they went to war against David. And David meant this was a good thing, but it was conceived as something bad and was told as something bad. It was spoken down upon David. This is slandered. And it has a lot of times some terrible consequences. A lot of times it's connected with questioning the legitimate authority uh, of another person, exaggerating my own authority in place. great example of this is Miriam and Aaron... Back in uh, Numbers 12, you know, who does Moses think he is? You know, we're just as good a prophet as he is. And, you know, who, who did, and of course, uh, God struck Miriam with leprosy. Uh, so it's one of those things, it's the, the old issue here of questioning someone else's ability or authority, if you will, and exaggerating your own. Sometimes it, it, it involves a needless repetition of 
person's faults, as real as they may be, and we're all full of faults. Um, all human action, someone has said, is more or less blundering. <laughs> Only God doesn't blunder. We do it all the time. Always doing stuff. And what did I say that for? What did I do that for? You know, it's, it's pretty much human nature to be that way. Uh, but certainly God expects us not to focus on the blunders of others or the faults of others, but to focus on their good, to encourage love and fellowship, not the bad things. And then sometimes it's just downright slander, um, uh, lack of humility on our part. It's a really serious sin. Psalm 101, 5 says, Whoever slanders his neighbor, him will I destroy. This is God speaking here. He slanders his neighbor. You intentionally do it, God's going to destroy it. Uh, Jewish Talmud calls slander the third tongue. And the reason it calls it the third tongue is because they saw that it killed three people. It kills the speaker, the person spoken to, and the person spoken of. Slander kills three people at once. He tells us to stop that. And then he says, he says, do not speak against one another, brethren. Notice the family tone of this. He refers the reader here to brother three times. Uh, notice in this verse, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against his brother or judges his brother three times, brother, brother, brother. So we're talking about brothers doing this to brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. It's interesting that right before this, back in verse 8, he calls us sinners and double-minded. So here we sinner, double-minded, we're still brothers. We're stopped this foolishness here. Again, we're part of the family of God. Galatians 6.10 As you have opportunity, let's do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So this is not doing good to brothers. So you need to stop it, if you will. Um, we're not to speak evil of one another. Um, Oh, and again, when we slander someone, we say something that slanders against someone, we're talking about one of God's kids, one of God's children. So you have to be real careful. Uh, we, don't, we don't want to do this. So he just basically says, stop doing it. Uh, <clears throat> Matthew 7, 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. And this is, it's not, it's not that we shouldn't judge, you know, this is right, that's wrong. We should do that, but we shouldn't condemn people, automatically speak down and judge against them, if you will. Uh, that's what he's talking about there. So, uh, there's never this uh, spirit of evil speaking uh, when a person has, has this humble, submissive attitude. Yeah, a person that's uh, humbly submissive to God is not a slanderer. You're not going to see that. These two things don't mix. They don't go together. So when you see the one, we know the other, something's missing here, this humble submission to God. Um, usually that it results in our malicious, deceitful, hypocritical, envious, slanderous behavior. Um, and and we we need to work against that, brethren. We need to constantly work on that. Human nature is just prone to these things. You got the devil pushing for it, the world pushing for it, and the flesh pushing for it. You got the you got to depend on the grace of God to not do these things because you're going to do them unless you submit yourself to God, if you will. Um, 
as Christians, we should expect criticism, but we should be living in such a way that nobody's going to believe it. You know, you're going to get criticized, but you need to. We need to work in our life to keep a good conscience, so that in the things which you're slandered, First Peter three sixteen says, "Those that revile your good, that revile you, your good behavior in Christ, that will put put them to shame." All right, he he prohibits this uh, speaking down against a brother. And then he says in the rest of the verse here, he who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if the if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. So here he tells us basically why we shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be slandering other people. He's actually verses 11b and 12a tell us why we should should stop this slander. Basically, when we do it, when we slander others, we're guilty of two sins. The first is we've broken the royal law. Um, he who speaks against a brother, judges brother, speaks against the law and judges the law. Again, there's nothing wrong with correcting a brother. We all need correction. I need to be corrected. I think there are proper ways of doing that. There's proper attitude behind correcting someone in the spirit of gentleness, meekness. That, that's the idea. And uh, we all need to be corrected. I certainly do. I, and uh, as human beings, we need all the help we can get. And when we're wrong, we need to be corrected on these things. So nothing wrong with correcting a brother in love. But slander is a totally different, different animal. He's referring to this hypercritical, censorious attitude that delights in finding so, aha, you can't do anything right, kind of an attitude. You know? And that, that's really not productive at all. Um, it, it, the issue here is a violation of the law of love. It actually, uh, it's, 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 it's doing, uh, if you will, it's not, it's not violating the Mosaic law, if you will, but the, the, the law of liberty. He's already mentioned this back in chapter 1, verse 25. He says, But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, uh, he, having become not a forgetful here, but an effectual doer, this man should be blessed in what he does. And then also in chapter 2, um, verse 8, however, if you're fulfilling the royal law, so this law of liberty, the royal law, the law which says, you know, you're to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor yourself. You're love the neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. This is the royal law. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. You shall love your neighbors yourself. I'm the Lord. That's kind of the bottom line. I'm the one telling you to do this. I'm the Lord here. Um, and then you have Romans 13.10, work, Love works no ill to one's neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Galatians 5.14 for all the laws filled and fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbors yourself. Um, obviously, we can't be loving our neighbor if we're slandering them. Um, this is an evil thing. So we're we're violating. If you were speaking evil, we're not we're not expressing a love to them. Failure to do this, <clears throat> as someone who believes in God's law. Uh, and yet doesn't obey it, doesn't put, actually he's not putting much stock in it, uh, is a, is a violating, a violation of the royal law, speaks against the law. 
And then it infringes, besides breaking the law of liberty, the law of love here, um, it infringes on God's prerogative. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one able to save and destroy. It's interesting that the word you here is kind of emphasized here. It's the idea of... uses the second person singular, he has the guy's face in mind when he says this. (laughs) When you do this, I know you, Bob, you're always doing this. Stop it. That's what he's saying. But but it applies to all of us Bobs out there that do it. Uh, We're violating the royal law and actually we're infringing on God's prerogative any time we do it. Um, It's expressing an irreverence toward God's authority um, and it, it puts us on the same level as the devil, the accuser of the brethren, the slanderer of other people. So we're either obeying God's law or we're sitting in judgment on it. And actually, that's what the law judge, the law does. It judges us. So we're saying, hey, I don't need that. I'll do this. This is right. That's wrong. I think that's right. You should stop doing this. You see, I've set myself up as the law. I've pushed that aside and I've taken that prerogative to myself. Uh, so it's setting in judgment upon the law. It's kind of like a progressive judge uh, determined to throw out the law and play fast and loose with whatever he thinks. That's the way the world thinks. That's how the world does it. We are not to do that. We're not to be governed by this wisdom from below. We're to be governed by the wisdom from above. This is an arrogance a satanic behavior that usurps the authority of the divine lawgiver and judge. Um, <clears throat> we need to come to this solemn reality that there's only one qualified to, for this, and it's not me. <laughs> it's God alone, basically. There's only one lawgiver and judge, one that's able to save and destroy. Uh, the Lord alone uh, legislates, judges, executes, he makes the rules. He applies the rules. He enforces His will upon this universe. He does that. We don't do that. Okay, We do not do that. His laws are permanent. His judgments are eternally valid. Um, he who gave the law is able to judge all of its violations, both to save and destroy. Matthew 10.28 Jesus says, Don't fear those that can kill the body, but fear Him that can keep can destroy both the body and soul in eternal hell. That's the person where to, where to reverence, where to respect God, not human beings, all right? Not certainly not ourselves. Then this little final rebuke of critical speech in verse 12, he he asks again the questions, who are you to judge your neighbor or who do you think you are? You know, are you a super chicken or are you a regular chicken? You know, are you a super Christian, or are you a regular Christian, right? Who do you think you are judging your neighbor? Again, this is a presumption of playing God. Uh, I know better than everybody else. The super Christian attitude. Again, it's just reflective of a devilish, antichrist behavior. Uh, Paul speaks of the antichrist uh, in Second Thessalonians two four, who opposes and exalts himself above all that's called God or that's worship, so that he as God sits in the temple showing himself that he's God. See, this is a, it's, a, it's a God complex that we, we get into. And uh, even demons know better than this. In Acts 19, uh, the evil spirit, uh, 
they're casting out the devil in the name of Paul and the demon and the demon in the inside the man says wait a minute now Paul I know Jesus I know but I don't know who you are I don't know you I don't recognize that you happen to be God that you happen to have supernatural divine authority you don't have that so even demons are smarter than that to, to do that anyway um, basically we're ignorant blind sinful weak creatures and who are we to go around pecking other people to death? You know, we're just another chicken. We're, we're not better than the other chickens. We're just one of the chickens, all right? We happen to be in God's flock here. Um, <clears throat> Romans 2.1 says, You're without excuse, you that pass judgment, for in that you judge another, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. Romans 14.4 agrees with this. says, You who are... You are, who are you to judge? And he asked the same question James is saying here. Who are you to judge the servant of another, a brother, sister in Christ? Uh, to his own master he stands or fall, he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So we're not, we're not to displace God, especially in our relationship with others. We should not presume to play God. We need to stop that. And basically, the reason for that is we don't have enough data. Only God knows everything, sees the heart, knows the motive, understands all the facts that are related to this situation. So we are not to judge anything before the time, Paul says. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. The Lord shall judge when He comes. Uh, He'll bring to light the hidden things of darkness, make known the counsel of the heart. Then every man shall have praise of God. So we need to be specifically um, careful in judging uh, other people. Uh, I, I have a friend that uh, uh, pastor. I've known him for fifty some years. Every when he does these funerals, somebody will ask. I'll inevitably ask, "You think he was going to heaven or going to hell?" And he always says, "You know, I don't have that information. <laughs> I'm not privileged to that information. That's way beyond my pay grade. You know, only God knows that." And so we just assume, we just have to preach the gospel. That's that's true. Ecclesians, Ecclesiastes seven thirteen seven sixteen says, "Be not righteous over much, neither make yourself overwise. Why should you destroy yourself?" So it's self destructive to think that I happen to be God, that I'm smarter than everybody else, and I can tell everybody else what they should do and what they shouldn't do when I really can't. I can't even run my own life very well. I'm always running somebody else's life. We come to the implication, and that is that the judgment is future. It seems a little presumptuous and premature for us to criticize a brother and speaking evil of things that we don't know. Jude says this in verse 10. 1 Corinthians 4 3 says, um, but, uh, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by man's judgment. Yeah, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing against myself. I really don't know how bad I am. <laughs> Yet I'm not, I'm, I'm, here, I'm not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord shall come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness, will make known the counsels of the heart. Then shall every man have his praise from God. So we don't know about people. We don't know whether they're saved or lost. Sometimes we, sometimes we act like we're not saved, don't we? It's like, I can't believe I did that, or I can't believe I thought that, or I said that. Um, 
Someone has said, how many lost now will be found? How many fallen will God yet restore by His infinite grace? You know, I hang on to that with some of my own kids. Um, There will be three wonders in heaven. One that I find many people there that I didn't expect to find there. You mean He made it to heaven? The second wonder in heaven is that I will not find people there that I was absolutely sure would be there. They're not there. And the third wonder, I'm actually there. That's the third wonder in heaven. So the tongue in this section of James, the tongue is an index of spiritual health. It's a revelation of a true inward character. Speech is one of those diagnostic marks or tests by which we ascertain true faith. A true believer, he can open his mouth and tell you that. He is a true believer, he's not a true believer, just by how he speaks. And this business of slanderous criticism is one of the most widespread and acceptable sins among people and sadly among even Christians. It disrupts our our fellowship with the Lord and others. It can destroy a church. Um, James, uh, in the last section, had issued ten positive commands, expected visible symptoms or effects of one's humble submission to the grace of God. It should be seen in all of our life. Um, They basically speak of an an alteration in our thinking and behavior in keeping with this uh, humble repentance or submission to God. Uh, It's it's a badge of a true believer. Uh, It will rectify all strife and fighting, pecking one another to death. Um, That goes on in so many church situations. So instead of murderously lashing out against one another or anybody that blocks what we perceive to be necessary for our personal happiness, you know, if he if he wasn't there, then I'd have that job. Or if he did this, and then I could do that. You know, we're always thinking this. That's you're the fault in my life. You're you're the reason I'm not happy. We need to frust. We need to submit our frustrated desires to God. You know, we, worldly thinking is you need to do this to achieve this happen. You know, looking for love in all the wrong places, and none of this stuff really brings happiness. We need to submit ourselves to God. Basically. I think that's what he's saying. We submit our frustrated desires to God. We have these desires. A lot of desires are just legitimate desires. God has given those to you, but He wants you to look to Him to meet them, not the world. The world will not meet those desires. It cannot meet those desires. And God has ceased to it. The world can't meet them. So that's why we need to turn to Him with whatever needs we have. We're to bring them to Him uh, and in, as He enables us, we're to change the things that we can change, accept the things that we cannot change, and then bathe everything in prayer. There are no problems in the believer's life in a local church um, <clears throat> that this kind of response will not cure, according to James here. Absolutely nothing. And again, it depends on understanding who you are this is the question here. Who do you think you are? Are you God? Are you just one of the regular chickens? You're not a super chicken. The only thing that applies to super is God Himself. 
Worldly, critical, judgmental speech is basically playing God, and you're not Him. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank You for James and the practicality of this little letter. We pray that we would take these things to heart. Help us to be better believers, better expressions of what the grace of God can do in the life of a sinner. We thank You again for this, uh, this section of the Word of God today. Bless the worship service to follow. Bless everything that's said and done here. May it honor You. May it edify Your, your saints today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.